Hey, how you doing, listeners? This is Gina Versa. I'm here for a uh, solo podcast with a uh, friend of the show. His name's Yashua Shelton. How you doing, Yash? Hey, how you doing, Jane? Good, good. Good to have you. Um, so this is kind of like a weird sort of uh, topic we've been planning for a while, or I guess like a very niche topic, right? I don't, I don't know if it's so niche anymore, really. Yeah, I guess it's like, well, it's UFOs, but I guess it's universally accepted in Congress where they talk about it. It's like UAPs, unidentified yeah. aerial phenomenons. So yeah, that's... that's the new word is UAP. You can't use UFO anymore. Yeah, it's not kosher. I love how like certain words change over time where it's like, instead of like UFOs, it's like UAPs, which is like almost the same thing, but like slightly different, right? Yeah, it just makes you feel better about the weirdness of it. <laughs> That's literally yeah. all it is. Yeah. But I guess before we go into like full on like, like a UFO talk, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so currently I work as a writer, uh, lead writer for the infographic show. Um, I never know whether to look at you on the screen or look up at the camera. Oh, okay. So if my eye lines weird, I'm just, I'm looking at you because it just yeah. feels more natural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is just a conversation. Yeah. You could just keep looking at me. Okay. Um, yeah. So right now I work as a writer, lead writer for the infographic show. Um, I've done photography. I was a director of photography. Um, I know cameras, which is sort of important for this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, before I, I started this career, though, I was in the military, served for six years. Um, I was planning on going career, but then I sort of realized uh, I don't really want to carry a weapon for the rest of my life. So, um, yeah, I just changed tracks, burned a lot of bridges, made a lot of people angry, and came out here to go to film school. Yeah. And um, when you were serving, um, it seemed like there was uh, a lot of like unexplained things that you saw, um, you know, just kind of where you were stationed, or was it just kind of like, like, was it abroad, or was it over here before we get into that? Oh, uh I'm under a 30 year non-disclosure contract. So there's okay. some that I just can't, can't really mention like stuff, uh, that would, that would speak to security procedures or specific incidents, uh, gotcha. stuff like that. But, yeah. uh, there's other stuff that I can talk about. Yeah. Um, okay. I know that, uh, so we, we, I, when I was in, I worked security for nuclear weapons, uh, VIPs, protection level one resources, um, stuff like that. And uh, when we were stateside, we were stationed in a restricted area, a restricted area in the Nevada desert. Mm-hmm. And um, undisclosed yeah. location. Well, it's it's defunct now. It used to be okay. known as two, but it's been shut down. Huh. Um, yeah, it was shut down. I think like 2010. I think it was. I can't remember. But um, yeah, we uh, we definitely ran across quite a few things uh, during the six years I was up there. So I worked at night, uh, worked the midshift from six p.m. to six a.m. And it was notorious out there that like the night shift was it was like the Wild West. Like that's when shit happened. Um, 
it actually it actually started my very first night out there believe it or not like it was like the perfect introduction um we uh it was me and a group of i think four other guys mm -hmm. uh, that had um come on at the same time fresh from tech school and stuff and um we got taken by one of the sergeants to like this high point inside of the facility where you could look around and see all of it so that he could point out you know this is this this is that mm -hmm. and when we were up there uh the so we had a triple fence line there was three fences separated i forget how many feet apart and then there were different sensors amongst the sense uh, amongst the fences um and while we were up there the alarm operator for the fence line called in an alarm on one of the, we called them uh, MSZs, marker sensor zones, called in an alarm on an MSC that was kind of close to us so that we could literally just turn and look over there and see it. Mm -hmm. And um, I forget which of the sensors that he said it was triggered, but uh, he dispatched a patrol to go check it out. And we kind of just did the natural thing, turned and looked to see what was going on. Plus, we were brand new. So, like, the sergeant knows it was like, and this is how, you know, things work. So, watch what this patrol does. Um, we saw it's, so I, I know how memory works cause I'm mm -hmm. used to taking a lot of like reports and stuff. And yeah. so I'm not gonna, if my details seem a little bland or scars, sure. it's because I'm sticking only to what I know for a fact I remember. Right. Um, I you can really like hard. verify it. Yeah. Because you know, how memory is, and I, I, I try to be very aware and not add extra details. Um, but so when we looked over there, there was like a uh, like an orb of light, um, and it was right over the fence. Uh, it was a, it looked like it was riding the fence. I forget which one of the three because the three fences were really close together, maybe like thirty feet apart. And I, I think it was on the middle one, like the one right in the middle. But I can't quite remember which fence it was. But it, I do remember that it looked like it was riding the top strand of barbed wire on the fence because mm -hmm. it was just right on it. Um, when we saw the uh, security patrol approach and go do their check, they were, uh, they were surprised. And so they like stopped the truck for a moment, called in over the radio what they saw. And that immediately triggered, um, I forget what the term was, but there's a specific term for like uh, when you need a, uh, Oh, 15 and five It's 15 mm. personnel within five minutes on scene to respond to security incident. Yeah. Um, so that triggered a 15 and five other patrols started responding and the original patrol came in closer. And when they started coming within maybe like 120, 130 feet of this thing, it started moving down the fence line. Mm. Like it got scared or it was like startled. I mean, I, I, I have no idea. Like, uh, it's like impossible to know what its mental state was. Right. Or, but or it, just it reacted to. Yeah. And that's the thing is that it, it specifically reacted to them approaching and starting to move down the fence. Line. But what's strange is that, I mean, if this thing is hovering over the fence, and I, I have no idea if it was literally on the fence or just hovering above it, because from my vantage point, you know, now I was maybe, uh, I was about a quarter of a mile away. Um, so from my vantage point, it looked like it was literally riding the top strand of the fence. I don't know. 
But what's strange is that if it's up there, then why doesn't it just go off, you know, uh, out of the fence line to where like we can't get to it or anything? Instead, yeah. it just literally rides the fence like a rail and it just shoots down the fence line. Um, I don't remember the color, but I, I, I have a strong uh, uh, imprint that it was just kind of white. I don't specifically remember the color. I know from where I was, I do remember thinking that thing was about the size of a basketball. And that's what I was, what I was thinking at the time. Mm -hmm. um, again, quarter of a mile away, not a good witness to estimate size and stuff. But um, so, yeah, as the patrol kind of, as soon as they started taking off, the patrol just literally gunned it and started chasing it. And there's, so we have the three fences and then there's a road right next to the interior fence. Um, and it goes all the way around the perimeter of the entire facility. And so he was following the light along that road while it was on the fence. Um, two more patrols joined in. And the thing just kept shooting down this fence. They, were, they must have been going like 60, 70 miles an hour on this, uh, on this road, like trying to keep up with it. Finally, it got to a place where the fences curved over mm -hmm. to the right. And there was just nothing but empty desert on the left. And instead of following the curve of the fence, this thing did like a 45 degree turn and just shot off into the, into the night, like a shot off into the desert. Mm -hmm. um, and that was it. Like it was over in maybe a minute. And I just remember thinking like, the fuck did I, <laughs> did I yeah. step into? Like, yeah. It's like, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> yeah. Well, like so, specifically that. <laughs> Uh, yeah um yeah i just i just remember thinking like what like <laughs> what the hell is this crap um but like everyone was not used to it but like it's funny you know i know you and i have had this conversation but right. since then and like some of the the weird creepy stuff that i've done for my show um mm -hmm. Like I've come to the realization that belief is emotional based. Mm -hmm. Like it's not about the evidence. You have the best evidence in the world, but if you don't like the way you feel about the evidence, you're not going to accept it. You're going to yeah. reject it. And so like everyone just sort of like, Oh, it's just another thing that happened, you know, mm -hmm. um, write a report about it. And, and the thing was, we, we almost never got, responses like we we did a few times but we almost never got responses from like you know higher echelons uh yeah. when stuff like this would happen um but yeah that was literally my first night um first hour <laughs> yeah <laughs> this this thing went down and uh everyone was just kind of like yeah that was super weird but mm -hmm. just kind of nonchalant about it you know yeah can you talk a little bit about some of your uh fellow uh you know, like servicemen there where, um, you know, there's everyone that's like different walks of life, just they're kind of like, you know, everyone, I mean, obviously, you know, you have a job to do and you gotta like, just keep going the next day, but was there any sort of like reaction to it that you could like stands out from anyone? You know, uh, I was too new at the time. And plus we weren't, uh, we weren't allowed to be out on patrols just yet. So we basically like, it, I mean, it, it sucked. We basically were stuck in a room with just us new people for most of the night, like going over manuals and learning stuff. Like it was, it was horrible. 
Um, so we weren't really exposed to the rest of the flight in order to really talk to them and like see, you know, gain their reactions and stuff. Right. Um, but I mean, there were other incidents where when I was, you know, um, fully integrated into flight, um, I don't know. Some people handled it well. Other people did not handle it well at all. Like you, you, some of the stuff like really challenged people's, you know, viewpoints. They really mm -hmm. challenged like what people are, are kind of accustomed to. And like a lot of people would just write it off. Yeah. Like even if there was no answer, you know, even if there was no like, even if the most obvious conclusion was this is something legitimately strange, like a bunch of people would just write it off. And that's that I feel like that's what the general public does with anything that they don't emotionally like the conclusion yeah. to. Yeah. They just sort of write it off like, oh, it's whatever. Yeah. It doesn't exist because it doesn't affect them. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, what, what really annoys me about skepticism today is that when they can't come up with an answer, they just disregard it entirely and pretend mm. that that's a valid position to have. Yeah. When very obviously isn't. Yeah. You know, and the other thing too, I, I kind of find with uh, some of the skepticism, it, it almost like seems, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm a little too harsh, but like almost like disrespectful of like certain people's like, like if it's like a military officer or, you know, like an air force man, like they're trained to do a certain job and like observe. And it feels like really like dismissive of, you know, like yeah. the job that they're doing. Right. Yeah. I, I agree entirely. Um, I have two comments on that. Um, the first one is I don't buy into the whole, oh, he was in the military or, oh, he's a cop, so he's a more credible witness. Like, I don't buy into that at all because, <laughs> like, I did the job, yeah. so I knew the people. Um, <laughs> but uh, having, having said that, my personal annoyance is, okay, uh, while I was in, I received numerous certifications to be able to do this job and that job. And one of them was to was a central security controller. And my responsibility was I would monitor the radio net. When an incident happened, I provided support to the on-scene commander by, you know, looking at the map, telling him where he could move his forces, stuff like that. Um, I coordinated with local and federal law enforcement during incidents. I coordinated the response of the augmentation force. Um, it was it was a serious job and it was extremely high pressure. Uh, we would have, so any facility that deals with nuclear materials, nuclear weapons, anything like that, uh, every, I think it's 18 months, they're inspected by the department of defense. So an inspector general team directly from DOD flies out and they do, it's like a, a week long inspection. I think it's a week. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's no bullshit. It's, it's pretty serious. If the facility fails the inspection and gets decertified, they will come back, I think three months later and do a second inspection. And if you fail that, the very next day, all the nuclear material is being flown out. And that is a nightmare. Uh, ask anyone who's ever served at a base where they have nukes and has lost their certification. It's a fucking nightmare. Like people are working 18, 20 hour shifts 
for like two months in a row because you got to get all these weapons and materials out. Um, yeah, your career is going to, if you're the guy that fails it, your career is like done. Yeah, it's like choose something else yeah. to go into. So yeah. I was uh, I was a central security controller for two of those inspections. And if you're anything else, there's some leeway. You know, if you they if you fail something, there's a bit of leeway for most other things. The central security controller was pass fail, period. If you so when they would run the exercise to test you and stuff, um, there's all these checklists that you have to pull every time there's any sort of incident. And it's literally dozens of checklists and you have to know exactly which ones to pull. And you go over every single step with a grease pencil and you have to make sure every single step on these checklists is done. And even the most mild incident, you're pulling like five or six checklists. Mm -hmm. uh, so on top of doing that, you're also handling the phone because you have got everybody from the base commander to like federal law enforcement, local law, like everyone's calling you. Mm -hmm. It's a fucking madhouse there. <laughs> And then you're running the radio net because you have to monitor the on-scene commander and keep him updated and like know what's going on with on-scene forces. It is the most high-stress thing I've ever done. So if you make one mistake as CSC, it's immediate fail for your mm -hmm. facility. Like you're done. So it's so much more stress during an inspection. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing that uh, annoys me about unhealthy skepticism. I was certified to do that job for like two and a half years. Mm -hmm. I went through two inspections uh, from the DOD, passed mm -hmm. both of them, got uh, commended for one of them. And yet when I tell you, oh, there was a, an upright walking ape outside of my camp in Oregon, People are like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, or you <laughs> misidentified a bear, or like, and it's like, okay, you have to make a choice. Like, am I trustworthy and competent enough to be central security controller for a nuclear weapons storage depot? But at the same time, I'm too stupid to know that a bear was outside my camp <laughs> and not something walking on two legs with fucking mm -hmm. arms and shoulders and a head. Yeah. It's like, you know, they both can't be true at that same time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, going going off of skepticism, like, what do you, uh, what do you think, like, the biggest myth in, like, UFO, UFOs are and, like, just, like, the study of it, like, just that you're like, okay, this is, like, 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 these are the facts and this is, like, just, un, you know, just not yeah. correct, yeah. I think I think that's a tough question because like nobody knows anything, you know. Yeah. Uh, nobody really knows what these things are. It, they happen. Like I, I think if anyone is sitting at home and thinking UFOs don't happen, whatever they are, I'm not saying aliens, but whatever they are, uh, that person's dead wrong. Like they happen. This is a fact. Mm -hmm. Um so it's really it's really hard because we know we know basically nothing really you know to be like oh this is definitely I mean hell who knows they could be from Zeti Reticuli and here to teach us to hug each other and like <laughs> I don't yeah. fucking know yeah no one uh, knows what I will say though is I heard a CIA guy one time say 
I love UFO sightings because uh, the more UFO sightings there are, then the less likely that a Russian or Chinese person looking up into the sky is going to think to themselves, oh, U.S. Air Force, as opposed to, oh, it's a UFO. Mm -hmm. So uh, just having a little bit of familiarity with the intelligence community, mm -hmm. um, I know for a fact that not all of these are legitimate. Right. I know for a fact that our government and other governments have hoaxed for their own purposes um, right. because it's a great cover. It really yeah. is. So it has the cover. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, it's literally unexplained. That's why it's like a yeah. UFO. Do you, do you kind of feel the, um, for like UAPs, like some of the pushback where, you know, a lot, you know, bases security, you know, certain bases security are compromised or what have you. Um, like why, why do you think, where it's like it's detrimental but then they're pushing back against the idea it's like are certain skeptics that are you know in higher rankings are they like just too biased to like just accept there's like something you can explain even though it's like if it affects like the job that they're doing you know you you nailed it you really did the the bias thing um that's very real so we, we like to think of our military as like professional, competent, and like, you know, they even keeled, right? Like, that's what we like to think about our military. Um, is that an airplane over there? Yeah, that's an airplane. It's not a UFO. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, the truth is, and actually what the group doing the UAP investigation for the Pentagon uh, what they discovered is that there is a culture of pushback in the military. Um, UFO reports, anything weird or strange, there's serious pushback against it. And it's, it's a cultural thing because these people grew up in a culture where stuff like that was mocked and ridiculed. And the people that reported it were crazy or they were drunk or whatever. Mm. It was a career killer in a yeah. lot of cases. Like that's, that's the type of ultra conservative state of mind, you mm -hmm. know, not the political ideology, but the state of mind was so ultra conservative that like anything out of the norm was immediately discarded. Right. Um, I mean, there's a culture of ridicule behind it. And the, the people running the, the UAP investigation for the Pentagon right now, in one of their reports that they said, we need to directly address this culture because it's hurting us, especially if some of these objects are from a foreign adversary and they're not being reported. They're not being taken seriously because they very could be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you nailed it. it. Yeah. You absolutely nailed it. Yeah. Cause it's like, well, at what point do you think it like the culture like shifted? Cause it's like, you have like, you have like Obama, like on i forgot where it was like jimmy kimmel probably and he's like oh let me be clear uh we don't know what this is it does exist you know <laughs> and it's like you could like or you're just like obama but the fact that you have like a former sitting president that was like yeah like this exists but it's like i don't know what it is you know yeah i i think it's uh i think it's directly tied to the rest of our culture why attitudes are changing yeah and honestly this might piss some people off but it's the truth mm -hmm. um 
things like the fact that like we now accept homosexuality a lot more than we used to mm-hmm. um it's just the fact that people are now being more open-minded mm-hmm. is literally changing our entire culture and it's mm-hmm. making things like this be more acceptable yeah we've recognized the harm that this unhealthy skepticism does. i mean people have killed themselves Mm-hmm. Because of this, there was a prominent government official. Uh, I forget his name, but uh, or sorry, it wasn't an official. Uh, he worked for the government. He was a scientist or something. I can't remember his name, but he killed himself because mm-hmm. you know he reported this UFO sighting and everyone just mocked him and like tried to destroy his career and he threw himself out of a building. So, I think the cultural shift. To where we're being more open-minded about stuff is having direct repercussions as far as stuff like this yeah yeah and then it's like you know like i think it was like the last administration that i'm not gonna name where they're just like declassifying like all these documents towards the end and you know this could have been like you know a previous like out you know outside of that person's like control or what have you and it's like that's when you think about it like you know they're classified for like 50 years and it's not just stuff like where it's like oh okay it's like roswell or what have you but it's like you know just everyday reports of like like what was that the uap that's you know the the most infamous one over san diego the tic tac yeah that's correct and it's like you know you have the whole video just released and i remember i remember like really like a vague memory of that when it actually happened because it was like 2004 right think so i think the incident yeah yeah the incident itself and i remember that was like i was like like you know 10 or 12 like just watching that at msnbc and the msnbc guy was like you know kind of laughing it off he's like oh you know it's just a ufo and it's like you know that's crazy that you go from like you know it's reported on the news and laughed off to like oh okay we have like a like government bot government body just like declassifying and putting it just out in the ether yeah. yeah, that's a that's a pretty significant uh, tonal shift there to go from ridiculing it to we need to figure out what this shit is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, how do you uh, how do you feel like it'll be like? I mean, we can't even predict it, but maybe in like the next ten years or something. Uh, so what I'm excited about is the fact that like there's being a serious effort. Mm-hmm. To actually investigate the phenomenon because again like this is real this happens um whether it's alien i don't know i have no idea nothing i ever saw or experienced said alien but what i saw and experienced that something incredibly not normal is going on yeah um i don't know but it's exciting that there's some serious investigation there's a civilian investigation i think it's the galileo project is what mm-hmm. they call it um, where they're using, you know, real scientific methods and they're slowly accumulating equipment to investigate this stuff. Um, I think that's going to be really important for bringing it to the forefront, um, of people's thoughts. And, and I think, I think what is most hardening for me is the thought that maybe in 10 years cultural attitude will have shifted from this is a joke and you know you were drunk or stupid or you don't yeah. understand to more acceptance and so more people will feel free to come forward 
and like give their accounts and then maybe slowly we can start changing the culture of yeah. you know around this whole thing right because it's like how like difficult is this it to say is like there is an object in the sky i'm not saying it's like an alien or it's like something from another world it's literally unidentified and it probably should be identified just for security or just for the peace of mind of like the public or something right yeah or i mean what if it is from a foreign adversary and we're completely ignoring it because we're just playing it off as a joke you know yeah yeah exactly it's just it's crazy yeah and it's just like it's not you know it's not like like was it the thing in world war ii where they're like gremlins you know the gremlins yeah. on the airplane it's like gremlins and foo fighters yeah foo fighters which you know foo fighters could have been the thing but yeah just the fact that it's like okay it's this you know the specific sort of craft and can't identify it it's mm -hmm. like you know it, it shouldn't be that foreign so you know yeah. I, I think that's just such a conundrum yeah i have a gremlin story by the way you have a gremlin story i do <laughs> okay do you want to say is it like were you on an aircraft or something or no no i mean it's not spectacular but it was very weird and spooky mm -hmm. um I, uh, one day I had to go, um, uh, so next to the area where we had nukes and all that, all those materials, uh, there was an adjoining, um, facility next to it where it was just conventional bombs, um, like thousands of just conventional bombs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when we were preparing, when the base was preparing for like a big exercise or something, they would bring the bombs out onto these hot pads. And so you'd have just 2,000 pound bombs just sitting on a concrete slab in the middle of the desert. You know, I mean, there was obviously a fence line around the facility and stuff, but um, yeah. So me and my partner were assigned to the conventional weapons area. And uh, we were parked outside one of the right next to one of the hot pads. Yeah. And like, we started hearing this sound and it was like, a, <laughs> it was like a cooing sound, like a real soft cooing sound. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, by this time I've been out there for years, so I knew all the critters out there, you know, this was yeah. nothing like that. And like, it just, it kept happening and it was coming from the, from the hot pad. So finally, me and my partner get out because they're like, all right, we have to investigate. It's literally our job. So we get out and we go in either end of the hot pad so that we can kind of like push it with my hand so you can see. Yeah. We push along the side together on opposite sides because the bombs are arranged in rows. And that way we can still see each other and like nothing can really hide from us, basically. Mm hmm. And as we're, we're doing our security sweep, the cooing sound moves and it stays always right ahead of us. But like there was nothing around this hot pad except desert. And when we got to the end of the hot pad, the cooing sound was now coming from the desert in front of us. Uh, but again, it was just, there was no wadis. There was nothing for anything to hide. Uh, I mean, yeah, we use night vision. We use thermals. There was nothing up there, you know. That, we we bought an animal in thermals. That's creepy. Yeah, and it was. I I just I felt like 
this thing's luring us. Like it keeps luring us further and further away yeah. from the vehicle. Um, so once we got to the edge of the hot pad, we we're like, all right, you know what? These bombs are secure. That's our job. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. We just went back to the vehicle. We just kept an eye out. We didn't hear it again after that. Well, but, yeah. You know, that... People be like, oh, it could have been an owl or something. Like, no, dude. No. They, we were on thermals. We saw nothing on thermals. Yeah, that's that's so fun. that's creepy. Yeah. So, like, are there any um, like UFO reports outside of um, your uh, service that you find like really credible and like anything that was like popularized or you know kind of has in the been in the public consciousness for a little bit? So, uh, I think the one that comes to mind that immediately comes to mind is. I forget the country in Africa. Was it Zimbabwe? Oh yeah, it was yeah Zimbabwe. Yep, with the, the kids. Yeah, the aerial school incident. I think is the correct yeah. name. Yeah, um, that one's always kind of been really interesting to me because uh, you just had so many witnesses. You know, mm -hmm. um, all the kids saw it. Some of the teachers saw it, and they mm -hmm. all later they all drew the same generally the same thing other kids you know they can't draw for shit but yeah uh but they generally drew the same thing and they described the incident the same way um there's just so many witnesses you know and and i recently well not recently but i saw like two years ago a documentary where they brought those kids now adults some mm -hmm. of them back together and they still were telling the same story and describing the same thing. So, I mean, for a fact, something happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was going to say, do you know actually one of the kids that saw something? He's kind of a, like a public figure actually now. Oh, no, I didn't. I totally didn't know that. Yeah, I think his name, I don't know his last name. His name's Zaw, right? And he's a, mm -hmm. uh, he's a little person, but he's a... Uh, he's like a producer or he works on the show podcast it's called barstool sports and wow, this is like I, yeah i have it, no idea it's like a sports podcast and like there's like because it's like it just randomly got in my like twitter feed or whatever and there's just this like this guy that's just on a sports podcast and they're just asked like the, either someone found out and they're just asking him about it for like 10 minutes straight and they're just like fascinated about it. he's like yeah i was there and he's just like he says exactly what because I, I read about the incident like the other people say he's just like you know talking about it and it's just like yeah you know this uh this incident you know just people that are like you know just in like the public consciousness i guess and this is like mm -hmm. you know he said the same thing as other people so yeah yeah i always thought that one was was pretty credible um there's also um, a report from 1954 i think it was uh also from was it, it was somewhere there around that region in africa um and it was from a uh, american pilot mm -hmm. who i'm trying to remember the exact details so uh during the 50s and the 60s the cia was monitoring everywhere you could get uranium from for okay. obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're still doing that. And uh, there was a craft spotted near a uranium 
uh, mine, or, you know, at least they thought it was a craft. And I can't remember if the American pilot that came in, I can't remember if he was working for the, I don't think he was working for the CIA. I think he was just a civilian that mm. happened to be in the area. And he brought his plane in to take a closer look at it. And okay. Pseudo chased it, not really, just kind of tried to keep pace with it and check it out. And like this guy was a World War II, like I think he was like an ace in World War II or something like oh, that. Oh shit! Okay. Um, but what was convincing about it was not just the witness; it was the fact that uh, the CIA officially took the report, um, and they had people on the ground that confirmed the sighting. Like they had actual CIA officials officials that confirmed the sighting. Uh, the report was classified for like 60 years. So it was only recently unclassified. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I always found that one credible because anything to do with uranium during that time, I mean, kind of still today. Yeah. But like, you know, nobody was playing around. Yeah, exactly. It's dangerous. Um, I guess kind of, I have a question where, I don't know if this is just me being like just a, you know, kind of a civilian, but like, and these are like highly trained people. Is there any like urge? And these are like, you know, trained pilots. Do you think there is there any urge or this just to observe? Why hasn't anyone ever tried to like engage with like an like a UAP or kind of like maybe they felt threatened to like, you know, maybe like uh, attack the craft or something like that? Do you think? Can you speak to that? So I know that I've heard of attempts. Um, there is a verified account, uh, from Iran actually, where Iran attempted to engage one of these things and the, uh, I forget the exact details of the account, but I know that the plane ended up crashing, like it lost electrical power and ended up crashing. Um, so yeah, there's been attempts, but I can't, I can't speak for like a fighter jockey who's up there and all of a sudden this thing shows up. Mm -hmm. I know personally, if I saw that this aircraft was doing maneuvers that would shred my aircraft, yeah, I'm not going to try to shoot it down. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just survival. As, yeah. Like as long as you're not messing with me, like, Hey, go loiter, do your weird figures. And like, mm -hmm. it's not like I can stop you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was just curious because it's like, you know, like there's stuff where it's like, you know, we, we're like when you talk about like Bigfoot, it's like, you know, there's hunters and there's just almost like a fear of like actually like they have a gun and, the you know, the Bigfoot's the Sasquatch is probably threatened by it. But it's like the hunter is not going to like just shoot it unless it's like directly, you know, in front of it yeah. or something. So I guess that kind of logic would go to the UFOs, right? Yeah, plus specifically with like fighter pilots, which are who are carrying live ordnance. Mm -hmm. Like, man, if you've misidentified where you're firing at, and also just the act of actually launching a missile during peacetime, and like, it's a whole shit show. Yeah. Like, I, I I could see why a pilot would be like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not dealing with like a, this potential shit show about to come down on my head because I discharged a weapon, you know. Exactly. I was going to say kind of uh, changing the subject here. I'm really curious, like what, and I don't know if this is a little too personal, but like, what is the first like memory you have of just like knowing about like a UFO? Like, can you like identify it and like 
you know, when you're a kid or just kind of like, were you like fascinated, you know, maybe watch some, some random documentary or something like UFO hunters or something crazy. I know that I was kind of into stuff like that when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I never, I did see some weird stuff when I was in Alaska, not UFO related. Um, but like, I never really actually saw a UFO until I actually joined the military. Oh, okay. And that's when I, that's when I saw my first one. Um, I think I ended up seeing like three of them while I was in, mm -hmm. um, and like had pretty hair racing close encounters, uh, with something. I have no, no fucking clue what. Yeah. But something. um, what's, what's a story that like, where I won't like jeopardize any of the NDAs or, or something that you could kind mm -hmm. of tell the listener, like, that's like, okay, this is like, this is my account. This is like, I cannot explain it. This is kind of like, for lack of a better word, like a definitive proof of like UIP from my account. So yeah, for me, it would be definitive proof. Obviously for other people, it couldn't be. Um, I actually have two. Sure. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember which one happened first. I believe, yeah, I think I know which one happened first. Um, so we had inside of the facility, we had patrols on the inside, and then we had three patrols on the outside. And they were responsible for responding to anything that happened outside of the fence line. Um, in the case of an actual attack, they were basically speed bumps. Like, <laughs> sorry, but you're not surviving out there by yourself. Yeah. Um, but uh, one night I was assigned to one of the exterior patrols and we got a call from an interior patrol that they saw headlights uh, on the side of a mountain kind of coming our way. And we had a, a small mountain directly outside where we were at. And mm -hmm. it was not uncommon to see, you know, for civilians to drive to go off-roading out there and stuff. And we would mostly leave them alone because they'd have no idea we were out there anyways. Um, but once they crossed a certain line, uh, we would move to intercept them and make sure that they turn around. Yeah. So I looked over to where the, the patrol said that they saw. I drove to a bit of high ground. So I get a better vantage point, looked over to where the patrol said they saw the headlights. And sure enough, you could see like they look like two headlights bobbing up and down, you know, in the dirt as it's going on the side of this mountain. Um, look through night vision and yeah it, it looks the way the headlights look you know they bob up and down illuminate the ground when they bob down like it i was convinced it was a truck so kind of watching it uh and it starts getting close to the point where it's like okay we're gonna have to go intercept this truck and before it kind of gets to that point the headlights suddenly shut off so that kind of like had alarm bells going off in my head because that means that this isn't just a civilian out there, you know, that has no idea we were, we were out there. Mm -hmm. um, this means that they, they're turning off their headlights to be hidden. So they know, they know we're out there. Yeah. Um, could it be a foreign intelligence agent? Could it just be, you know, curious looky loos? I don't know, but yeah. they know that we're out there. So me and my partner moved to a point where we know that anybody coming our direction has to come across us or we'll at least be able to spot them. Um, we also call for uh, canine patrol to come back us up. Mm -hmm. So 
it's me, my partner, who had been there for like, I think like six months. Okay. Um, the canine guy and his dog, and we're kind of crouched in a wadi, uh, just keeping an eye out in the desert in front of us because they have to come our way. Yeah. Um, we're out there maybe like five, ten minutes, and there's no sound. There's no, we get nothing on night vision, nothing on thermals, which is strange because even if you turn the headlights off a truck, trucks run hot. And yeah. if you turn the truck off, that truck's going to be visible for like a half hour on the, right. on the third. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, the dog is not indicating at all. So is, is he yeah. like, is he just, because he's obviously trained. Did you feel like he was like, was it the, how it was like the state of the dog? Like was he? He was, chill. he was totally chill. Okay. Totally not reacting to anything. Okay. Uh, so we get a call from an interior patrol. Who by now we've had uh, patrols on the inside go to like pieces of high ground where they can look out over us um, and look over the desert. And we get a call from one of the patrols, and he says, "Hey, be advice. You've got a bright light to your nine o'clock." And I was like, oh, sorry, no, the first one was at three o'clock. And okay. he said a color, but I don't remember the color of the light. Hmm. And so we immediately looked to, uh, to our three o'clock. There's nothing. Can't see anything. And the desert's flat here. We see nothing. Um, I call back asking other patrols to verify that they're seeing it too. Everybody sees it. All the patrols see it. I think it was like four patrols dispatched the high ground to overlook us, uh, to overwatch us. Everyone's seen it. Um, like a minute later, we get another call. Uh, different patrol. It says, hey, be advised. Now you've got a light at your 9 o'clock. Look at our 9 o'clock. Nothing. Can't see a single thing. That's creepy. Uh, look at the dog. See the dog's indicating. Dog is chill. Dog is bored. Um, nothing. So I uh, I call a... Uh, um, our flight chief uh, security one and I asked him to change to the clear speech channel where we can talk, you know, freely. And I'm like, uh, Hey, Sergeant Crawford, what the hell is going on? Like, are you guys joking with us? And he's like, no, but like, I can see them. Like there's two lights out there. There's one to your three, one to your nine. Like, what can you see? And I'm like, I can't see anything, Sergeant. Like I, I cannot see anything out here. We got nothing on thermal, nothing on night vision. And his voice sounds a little concerned. So I know it's, I know they're really seeing this stuff. Um, my partner still has his radio on the normal frequency. And over the normal frequency, another patrol calls in that now there's a third light. This time it's at our 12 o'clock. So now we've got our about 200 meters behind us is the, the outermost fence line. So we got the fence line behind us. We've got a light to three, 12, and nine. We're basically hemmed in by these lights. Um, before like any of us can really react or anything, somebody, I don't remember who, but somebody calls over the radio in a panicked voice saying, hey, the lights are moving on you. Um, so the way that they later what they describe seeing is we're in the center and these lights start at the same time same speed moving directly onto our position um 
I told my partner, I was like, hey, lock and load. Like, put one in the chamber, put a grenade in the, because he was carrying that 203 under the barrel. Oh, okay. I was like, put a grenade in, uh, put a round in your, in the rifle chamber. I chamed around, canine chamed around, and the dog is like not reacting at all. Like, okay. no response. So we're sitting there, I'm facing the 12 o'clock light. <laughs> my partner's facing the three o'clock, canine's yeah. facing the, the nine o'clock. Um, nothing, absolutely nothing. No sound, no, no visual, no, nothing, no thermal night vision. What I don't realize at the moment is that our radios aren't working. I'm so caught up in the situation that I don't even realize that I haven't been hearing anything over the radio. So after about 10 minutes of just sitting there waiting for something to happen, finally i'm like you know what guys fuck it like let's just head back to the vehicles let's let's head back towards the fence line um that's about when we realized that nobody's broadcasting over the radio so we tried uh, we try all three of our radios and nothing we get nothing Mm -hmm. we start walking back towards the vehicles which are near the fence line and finally once we start getting near the fence line is when our radios start working again and we hear patrols calling and saying, oh, yeah, we can see them. They're coming out of the desert. Um, I realized that they've been looking for us. Mm-hmm. So my security one tells me, he calls me on the radio. He's like, you need to in-process immediately. So uh, in process? I take me. Yeah, so when you're, uh, uh, so we have an entry control point, mm-hmm. uh, which every vehicle coming in or not has to process through to check for you know, weapons, materials, all that stuff. Oh, okay. And so uh, it's a whole ordeal. Um, so I I went in, in process, met with my security one. And uh, the first thing he told me, is like, where the hell were you? Why, like, why were you ignoring the radio? And I was like, I I thought, that, like, like, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't even think about the radio, but it wasn't working. Like, I didn't, we didn't, none of us heard anything. Uh come to find out that i thought we were there for like 12 or 10 minutes he says that we were at a radio contact for at least 20 minutes according to the radio logs but i could swear it was like half that much time um yeah that was again that's difficult because i never saw anything never like didn't hear anything didn't see anything but it's the fact that so many other people did you know, and I know that they weren't joking. Like, this was serious. Um, the second one, which I got some tangentum, got a little bit of proof. Um, we So every, every night we would practice, uh, we would have an exercise to practice either tracking people to the desert or like... Uh, recapturing weapons uh you know all these various security scenarios and we had a designated we i forget how many how many of the storage bunkers with weapons that that we had but we had one designated for us and it was Uh empty and it was just for us to practice assaulting the other bunkers okay like a drill like a training drill and everything yeah um so we were at the training structure and running an exercise and we were practicing an assault and recovery of weapons inside the bunker. So we have uh, 
you know, patrols responding, the fire team comes up to the doors with the machine gun stuff. Um, in the midst of us preparing the assault element that's going to actually assault into the structure, we get a call from one of our overwatching machine gun teams who's like on high ground and their job is to just look over everything and provide fire support if needed. Uh, we get a call from him saying, Hey, be advised. I got two individuals with thermals uh, on thermals out in the desert behind you guys. And so we immediately adjust the priorities, recapturing weapons and neutralizing threats inside the bunkers. So the, uh, I was on scene commander and I tell the assault team, I'm like, you guys go. And then I'm reworking the people outside to provide security for anyone that might try to attack from behind us. Um, as I'm in the midst of doing this, uh, our flight chief comes running up kind of like red faced and out of breath. And he's like, Hey, uh, terminate exercise. This is real world. I didn't put anyone out there. So we're like, Oh shit. <laughs> this is the worst case scenario. <laughs> well, I, I guess in a worst case scenario is someone's inside the bunkers with the weapons, but mm -hmm. like the fact that someone has gotten through three fence lines triggered no alarms, they are in like this is you know those you see those signs on like facilities like lethal force is authorized yeah this is killing time like yeah, <laughs> someone's yeah. gonna die tonight mm -hmm. so um we terminate the exercise completely rearrange uh reorient to put to do a security sweep out into the desert because our machine gun team is telling us that these two individuals are proned out and they seem to be observing us they say they're about like a good 120 meters behind us in the desert. So we start a security sweep uh, pushing through while we've got uh, two patrols. One has like a 240 and the other one has a 249 uh, on up armored Humvees. Mm -hmm. And they're literally just watching from the turrets ready to just unleash hell if anybody pops up. Because this is, there's no more talking at this point. Like yeah, you've gotten this time. close, you die. That's it. You're just dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, as we're doing the sweep, the overwatching team is keeping us updated and he says, Hey, they're crawling backwards. And so we know that they're reacting to us pushing through. Mm -hmm. So based off the, what they're feeding us now, we can't see anything. Uh, we can't see anything on night vision on the thermals because it's very heavily, like there's a bunch of scrubs, you know, uh, scrub brushes. So we can't really see anything. We can't see more than maybe 15 meters ahead of us with either night vision or thermals. So we're pushing. Everyone's locked and loaded, ready for shit to just go down. Yeah. Um, when we get within like 20 meters of them, uh, the overwatching patrols goes, hey, they just disappeared on me. And uh, our security one's like, what do you mean they disappeared? And he's like, sir, they dropped off the thermals. Like they were there one moment. <laughs> Now they're gone. Jesus. So we continue the push and we get to the spot where uh, they were last seen. These two figures were last seen. And on the thermals, you could look at the desert ground. And because mm -hmm. it was cold, this was winter. Yeah, you could still see residual heat. So it was faint, but it was there, which means that there really was two individuals out there. Like... Mm -hmm. This wasn't a, a digital projection or artifact in the thermals. Like, there was residual heat on the ground from where two bodies had been laying down. Um, 
Mm. Yeah, we we never found anything that night. Like we never that residual heat's the only thing we ever got. Um, so I have no idea. I have no idea who or what this could have been. Yeah. Um, Do you, hmm, I know I know we're kind of short on time, but I was just wondering what what was your what was the like the night like as you're like all this information and everything just happened like what was the like how did you like process everything like the night the day or the night of like you're going to bed like do you remember anything from that so like uh um because that's a lot that seems like you know yeah life-changing stuff i'm you know it's weird because like when you when you experience something like that and you just you're left with no explanation and i mean we had at the time some of the best sensor technology the u.s military had because we're a nuclear weapons storage facility you know Mm -hmm. and when all of that equipment fails to give you answers and you've got like 40 people scouring this entire facility and there's no sign of penetration there's no nothing your brain just kind of writes it off like yeah. and that's exactly what happened like we were on you know we were on higher alert for like a week after that uh and everyone mentally was sort of like it could happen again there could really be someone out here or something i don't know but like once it dies down your brain's just like oh yeah that happened yeah, yeah just kind of like like i don't know maybe it's a survival thing so that mm-hmm. your brain doesn't break but yeah. it's like oh yeah that happened no big yeah. deal it just packs it in like the unidentified file or something you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah. I, I know we don't i know we have very little time but mm-hmm. believe me that's some of the less weird shit that yeah. like we saw and happened out there which not necessarily ufo related but mm-hmm. yeah that place was that place was it was it was kind of the wild west dude that place was it opened my eyes Let's say that the world's not as naturalistic as we like to think it is. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, that's, that sounds like that's insane. But yeah, I guess kind of winding down here, and we have you just for a few minutes. Like, any like final thoughts you could uh, leave us with before you go? Yeah, um, don't be so hard on people that say that they've seen something but at the same time if you've seen something don't be so quick to believe that it was unexplained like mm-hmm. um i i had a friend who told me about her ufo sighting that she had and when she described it i was like oh that was probably an iron meteorite um because she described the color as it was going through the sky and stuff mm-hmm. and, and i think there's a lot like people aren't really aware um of stuff like that like meteorites of different compositions will create different glows uh different color glows some of them will create like a neon glow and we're not used to seeing something like that so like if you've seen something don't be so quick to jump to it was you know something unexplainable like maybe do a little bit of research and and i know it's easy to be defensive because you get attacked so much if you're a public witness but kind of take the time to listen to people that might give some some you know like normal explanation for what you saw rather than just be immediately defensive um at the same time if you're on the other end of it though like don't be so quick to jump down someone's throat or like ridicule them or something because 
this shit can ruin some people's lives. Like I, I know of a guy, you know, who was so scared of the Bigfoot encounter he had on his property. He cut down every single tree on his property uh-huh. because he did not want there to be roof room for them to hide. Huh. So like, it doesn't matter what this guy saw. You don't, you don't have to believe in Bigfoot, but this guy saw something that terrified him to the point he spent thousands of dollars doing this. Like maybe be a little kinder, you know, towards yeah. people that, that come forward and saying they've seen this or they've seen that. If they have this visible, visible reaction to it. Yeah. Something did yeah. happen. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's, that's a good note to end it on. Uh, Josh, where can uh, people find you at if you want to promote anything or social media wise, wherever you feel kind of dope. Okay. <laughs> I kind of don't. <laughs> okay. Should we should we at least lead them to uh, the channel though? Uh, yeah, check out uh, the infographic show. Um, check out the uh, I survived the hundred days of nuclear war. I survived the hundred days of black plague. Nice. Uh, they're good. They're really fun kind of series that I write. Um, yeah, I don't know. People seem to like them. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely watch it and I would highly recommend, but I just want to say thank you for your time. Like everything, you know, all these stories were really interesting. Um, we didn't get to certain topics, but I feel like this is just, you know, it was a very, uh, very interesting and enlightening podcast. So thanks for your yeah. stories. And yeah, you could find me on Twitter, G9892, um, Instagram as well. You can find the Waffle Press at the Waffle Press podcast on Instagram, on Twitter, at The Waffle Press. Uh, thanks, And we're on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify. Please like, share, subscribe. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We've been professionally unprofessional. <laughs>